so excited about this one tonight. You know it's a special Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Sending it out to everyone for Memorial Day. Ira, we've got a great um, guest tonight. And normally, uh, you do most of the introduction on the guests. But Randy Moeller, good friend of mine, he's the Florida Panthers television analyst. He's going to be joining us in just about 25 minutes. Discussing so much in the world of hockey as we kick off the Stanley Cup. But either way, we're here. It's Memorial Day. And not only are you not in studio which never works out great for us, but you're not here. Either way, where are you, and why are we sending this off to all our vets? Well, we definitely want to do a show on Memorial Day, and we want to honor our veterans. Um, Memorial Day and veterans certainly is, is the connection to sports uh, is, is tremendous. I mean, some of the greatest sports figures that we honor and, and, and honor in sports have also been uh, veterans who, who participated in wars and defended our country, um, and some who have given their life. I mean, Pat Tillman was a, a, a superstar player for the Arizona Cardinals, turned down a $5 million contract after 9-11 to go to Afghanistan to defend America and, uh, and, and pay for it with his life. And I remember growing up, Rocky Blyer for the Steelers, one of the most popular Steelers ever. He went to Vietnam, had his leg blown off. People thought he couldn't even walk. I mean, he's seriously, not blown off, but seriously injured in his leg. And uh, there was 0% chance that he would ever, have, let alone walk, let alone play NFL football on a Super Bowl champion and be this, one of the star players for the team. Uh, and Rocky is a tremendous uh, speaker and motivational speaker. Uh, people forget Yogi Bear, one of the greatest uh, baseball players of all time, fought in the Battle of Normandy. Uh, we look at statistics all the time. Everybody's into stats. Uh, Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio have these amazing statistics And when you analyze baseball. But people forget that Ted Williams lost three years in the prime of his career, 43 to 45, as a Navy pilot. Not just whatever. He was actually in, as a pilot on missions in, this, in the Pacific. And also Joe DiMaggio missed three years during World War II. And Willie Mays took two years out of his career in Korea. So it's been a tradition of, of I mean, there's many sports famous sports athletes that have participated in, in to defend America and that's what we want to honor people on on today and thank them for their uh, for their service to America. It's one of the reasons I'm very proud to be a part of Iron Sports. We go on Memorial Day. We're discussing everything that's happening in the world of sports and Ira we keep talking about it every week. It's getting more and more exciting. We had a crossroads on this show maybe 3 weeks ago where we didn't really know what was going to happen, where it was going to come out of the East. And here we see the Raptors coming out, and they won it handily. I wasn't really expecting this. We'll talk about all this and more, but did you get what you were thinking was going to happen out of the Eastern Conference? No, I mean, I got when the Sierra playoffs started. I, honestly, we had, I have a, I'm in a fantasy basketball draft. I picked Warrior players, and I picked Raptor players. I picked the wrong <laughs> one, so I'm not going to win because I picked Cousins instead of Draymond Green. I felt everything that I felt that the Raptors look like right now, how they're playing, is exactly what I felt when the playoffs began. But when you saw how well the Bucks played uh, against the Celtics and against uh, Detroit, and just rolling along, winning 10 of 11 games, and the first two games against the Raptors, it was just hard to go against them, to think that the Raptors were going to come back. But, again, we're going to talk about this in detail. The coaching of Nick Nurse, the adjustments uh, the Raptors made, and that's all what sports is. It's so much adjustments. I mean, that's what everyone talks about Bill Belichick in the third quarters of games. I mean, how many times are the Patriots losing at halftime? He's able to make the proper adjustments. Uh, and I think that's one of the key things that, the, uh, that, the, that certainly the Raptors were able to do, was they were able to see what Budenholzer was going to be able to do for the Bucks and make those adjustments, and, uh, and, and it paid off, and they win in six games. Just a, it's a great comeback for the Raptors in a, in a series that I thought the Bucks had complete control, and they were up in Game 3 and had to go to double overtime. They win that game. They're up 3-0. It's probably we're talking about Milwaukee-Golden State. Instead, we're talking Toronto-Golden State. You know, Ira, you bring up an interesting point, though. How much credit do you put into that? You just brought up coaching, and I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like this is coaches that have worked their way through. And they're making smart decisions. And you see issues like this where I thought Milwaukee on paper was the much better team. And we're not going to see them in the, you know, in the finals. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, I don't know if they're a much better team, but they weren't a, they're young and their star their star was young in Giannis he's four years younger than Kawhi Leonard and you saw a superstar player like Leonard and be able to drag his team but actually it's it's really what the Warriors are doing the role players stepping up and not just waiting for a superstar to perform and that's what I love about love about the NBA tremendously because you're able to see and especially in a series like that where the Raptors look like they were done finished and he was able to, a guy like Fred Van Fleet was able to come through for yeah. the Raptors and for, after going one for 18 in shooting threes, suddenly go 14 for 17 the next three games. Just tremendous performance. Uh, that's what they were able to get uh, contributions from so many other players besides Kawhi Leonard, where it felt like Milwaukee just could not find another person besides Giannis to actually step up, and it was inconsistent. Uh, Milwaukee had a stronger bench, they had a deeper team but they weren't able to come through when it counted. Raptors, great win for them. You know, it, it was adjustments for me, though. And it was the way that Milwaukee couldn't adjust to Toronto. And I thought the entire time that they were outclassing Toronto until Toronto just won games. Um, so we'll move on. It's Iron Sports, the True Oldies channel. It's about 7.09. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's go back to the Warriors of Portland. This was, we all knew it was going to happen, Ira. But it was a better series than I thought we would get, and the Warriors did close them out pretty well-handedly. Well, I mean, this is—we talked about this before. Lots of people say, "I want a seven-game series." Well, if every seven games is a blowout, is that really that a great series? You have seven blowouts. I mean, this was <laughs> so true. Yes, so true. The last three, the Warriors were trailing, trailing in a game, seventeen points in game two, eighteen points in game three. 17 points in game four. I mean, th- these are double digit, not just double digit deficits, 17, 18, and 17. Some of the three of the biggest comebacks in Western Conference final history, they were able to come back and win. It- it's just amazing. I mean, each of these series had these game of runs, and the Warriors, though, were able at the, every time you're like, okay, Portland's not going to let them come back this time. Portland's going to figure this out. We kept let them come back that. before. And again, <laughs> the Warriors come back. I mean, you, they look in the first half. There's points in the game where the Warriors are like, oh, you're closing your eyes. Like, they're terrible. They have all these reserves in the game. Nobody knows what they're doing. They're missing shots. They're going to get blown out by 50. And they somehow turn it on and, and figure out to come back. And Portland was, just couldn't stop it. And that's what made uh, just I loved I loved watching the Warriors play this series and uh, it and and, the, and Portland played great and Portland's a team that's going to be back and they're going to be back next year and this was again a good test for them and a good experience for them for next year I think all these teams when I talked about the younger teams the Portlands the Denvers the Milwaukee's in the history of the NBA it's the teams you have a lot it's rare that you suddenly have this great success. You have losses before you have success. Uh, even Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, had failures against Boston, failures against Detroit, and was able to turn it on uh, and be able to, to win it. It's, it's the losses that make you harder, that makes you tougher, that makes you want to win it more and figure out a ways to win it. And that's what's going to happen. That's what Portland's going to learn from, Denver's going to learn from, Philadelphia's going to learn from. Hopefully these teams that had these tough NBA playoffs are going to learn from this and then be stronger next year. Ira, that's like one of the um, best things I've ever heard from you who studies this inside and out. And I agree with you. Okay, so <laughs> we, we look at what happened, you know, in retrospect, but you think that Portland and teams like this have something to build on going forward because I agree with you. I think this is a good loss for Portland, and <laughs> they should be happy that this happened. And granted, you're not going to knock down Steph and the super team now, but I think there's somewhere to go in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, clearly they... People saw C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. I mean, this was last year at this time when they were swept by the Pelicans. People said, Portland is finished. Break the team up. Fire the coach. Exactly. Break the Lillard and McCollum. You cannot have two great guards. It's ridiculous. It's redundant. You can have two guards that play the same position. Well, now we see two guys that really play great, that complement each other well. Like, just build around them. Like, they're so close. So I think Denver feels they're close. Portland feels they're close. Milwaukee feels they're really close. These teams feel they're close. They just need maybe a couple extra role players. They have to, and also they themselves have to get in the gym. I mean, the rumor is that Giannis was in the gym the next day, practicing four or five hours. Like he just he didn't want to sit and mope about the fact that he lost. He was back in the gym practicing. I mean, this is what happens to these teams. You have a loss. You don't just go on a boat. 
sell and, 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 <laughs> and drink wine or whatever and lay out in the sun. You're in the gym the next day because you don't want because you hate losing. You don't want to lose, and you want to remember that taste of losing and then be able to do things. And that's what I think. That's what happens to these great teams, and we'll see what happens next year if they're able to overcome. I mean, a team like Toronto's interesting. And also Golden State, because both teams might lose their star players. So this is really, this could be one and done for Toronto if Leonard leaves Toronto. That's why they really had to win this. And, and it's sort of the same thing with Boston. Boston probably feels worse. They, how much they, can they build them? They'll be a different team. But these other teams, the Denver's, the Portland's, Milwaukee's, they're going to be the same team next year, but they're going to have this experience to build on and hopefully learn from. Before we move on to the Toronto-Milwaukee series, by the way, it's Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Randy Moeller. Uh, Florida Panthers television analyst, drafted number 11 overall by the Nordiques in 1981. Great career as a player. He's going to catch us up on everything Stanley Cup. But, Ira, what kind of odds are you giving Kawhi of staying? I have shifted a lot in the last couple of days. I think there's maybe a chance. What do you think? Um, I think there's a, I think I think there's a chance. Well, I just I think well, I think in order to talk about next year, I think we have to see what happens in the finals. I really on all these other teams we've seen now, we can make sort of estimates of what's going to happen. But for both Durant and Leonard, the two prime free agents, I think we have to wait till the finals are over and then we'll analyze it. I I, I think the, the chances have improved. Um, but uh, and you find funny things in Toronto, like he's getting offered free legal services, everything, free, <laughs> everything, anything he can stay to stay. I mean that he's you can see. I'm going to go to a Toronto for at least one game for the NBA Finals. I'm excited to be there. You watch it on TV. You see that Jurassic Park, the park outside. I mean, they have like 40,000, 50,000 people outside the, the arena uh, watching it on a big screen, screaming more than in, inside the arena. So it's a great atmosphere, and, it, and it's tremendous. All right, Ira, let's get into it. Toronto versus Milwaukee. I really thought Milwaukee was the better team. I thought they were deeper. I thought they were... I don't want to say better coached, but I feel like they had a better product on the floor. It didn't turn out that way at all. And Kawhi Leonard showed that he's he's always been a top five player in the NBA. And he really put that on showcase for the last week. And Toronto's going to roll them. Yeah, I mean, I think what what happened in the... in that It was like one of those series where we, we, we left off at that double overtime game where Milwaukee just it sort of gave up that game 2-1 to Toronto. But that, they could have been up 3-0 with three more games, two more clincher. games in Milwaukee, yeah. really controlling this, I mean, total control of the series. It's 2-1, and then I call this the next game, the game, it would be the Drake game, where Toronto won 120-102 over Milwaukee. That was a game that Toronto dominated on Tuesday night, and that's where Drake was walking up and down the sidelines, just unfettered by any rules. I mean, usually those rules are if you're a coach, you're not allowed just to stay in a box. You can't walk up and down the sidelines. And if you're a player, uh, if you, I mean, if you're a player, you can't do that, of course. And if you're a fan, security will put you in a seat. But Drake somehow is above all responsibilities. He's like, well, he goes, I'm part of the team. Well, he's part of the team. You're not allowed to walk anywhere you want on the sidelines. If you're a fan, you're not allowed to do that either. And I think that was he definitely – I have – a long, uh, 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 my line for what fans can do and say is, is pretty. I like to give them a lot of deference. But Drake crossed whatever line I had. You cannot be walking up and down the court. And it clearly worked, though. I mean, it clearly worked. Giannis was missing foul shots. He shot 45% that game from the foul line and, and missing key foul shots and threw up air balls. And, it was, and looking at people, the, the, you notice that the Milwaukee players were looking at Drake, were watching him, and, 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 and while he was catcalling them and making comments that it was just getting under their skin. He's different than any other fan. He's a superstar uh, performer, and they know who he is, and he's calling them out. And it was, it's different than Spike Lee, and it was different than Jack Nicholson. We've always had celebrity fans in the NBA, but they have never walked up and down the sidelines like Drake. Jack stayed in his seat. Spike Lee would jump up and down in his seat. I've been in games when Spike Lee sat directly in front of me, but I never saw him walk up and down the sidelines. This was unheard of, and I, I think the NBA is going to have to deal with this and not let this happen again, to have a, have a fan, or whatever, or whatever he is, fan, uh, an ambassador for the team, have such an impact on the game. No, I agree 100%. By the way, you're listening to Iron Sports at 717. This is the True Oldies channel. Uh, Randy Moeller, Florida Panthers television analyst, joins us in about 13 minutes or so. Ira, I like where you're going with this because me as a fan, and you're above a Bubba fan, you're a super fan, 
I was annoyed seeing how Drake gets liberties on the sidelines. And uh, I'm a Nick fan. I don't like what Spike Lee does, but he's on a different level kind of. But I, I understand wh where you're coming from. It just doesn't seem right for basketball. And the coaches are getting involved. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely and, – and, and it threw them off. I mean, Toronto uh, was uh, down 94 uh, – I mean, uh, Toronto was up 94-78 at the end of the third. Uh, it was a blowout game. I was watching it. Actually, I was in Las Vegas at the time watching it at the, the sports book, and you could just see the, uh, there was a lot of Bucks fans, and they were, they, you know, they were going nuts. I mean, I was around 30 Milwaukee fans at the sports book. I don't know. Everybody from Wisconsin is in Las Vegas, and they were furious. I mean, they were screaming the whole game. It was, it was distracting the fans, let alone the players who were watching it. They were like saying, what is Drake doing? How can he be walking around? He was on both sides of the court just doing whatever he wanted. I mean, Giannis still shot 9 for 17, but 6 for 10 for the foul line. Eric Bledsoe began, this is one of the problems that Milwaukee had. Eric Bledsoe, they gave a $70 million contract to. He's one of their, probably the third best player on the team. He scored five points, two of seven shooting in 20 minutes. And Malcolm Brogdon, their other great young guard, two for 11 for 14 points. Milwaukee from the foul line was 17 for 26. I mean, terrible. Toronto was 24 for 27. And then finally for Toronto, Lowry got on 25 points. I mean, this game, Leonard had 19, but he still got contributions. And this is what happened. Finally, the bench came through for Toronto. Uh, Norman Powell, 18 points. Abaka, 17 points. Van Fleet, uh, 13 points. Lowry, 25 points. Even when Siakam and Green didn't have good games, that's what led them to win that game. And then on Thursday, uh, Thursday night, then you go back to Milwaukee, 2-2, and Giannis is saying, don't worry, we, we let everything go, but it's 2-2, we're going to get it back, we're going to understand. And Milwaukee jumps up to an 18-4 lead. They're up 14 points. They're like, we're at home, everything's under control, we have no problem. They were doing fast break points, Bledsoe played great. The only thing that kept Toronto in the game was Van Fleet. He had three for three Without on three pointers. He was tremendous. And then, the, then they began, and then at halftime, Toronto was leading 49-46 because they were able to come back on that. Just, it was, I mean, they were down 49-46, but it, was just, it wasn't for Van Fleet. They'd been blown out of the game. And then in the, in the second half, uh, Leonard, uh, Leonard was just amazing doing that and that, uh, playing great. But Milwaukee went on a 14-2 run. So suddenly they let Toronto back in the game. Milwaukee was on a 14-2 run to start the third. What did the Raptors do? Go back on a 9-0 run. So it's 75-72 <laughs> Milwaukee at the end of the third. And then at the beginning of the third period, Leonard scores a three. Then he scores a two. Then he scores another three. They go on a 10-0 run and taking that lead. And uh, it was weird at the end of the game. There was a point where they took Giannis out of the game for like a minute and a half, and, uh, and, that, and he wasn't in the game for it. And then it was weird. And then, and then Leonard was able, but that Leonard scored two baskets when Giannis was out of the game. It was great to see us. Both of the players, Giannis and Leonard, played each other. So it's great when you see the two star players playing against them. And, uh, but Middleton missed a key shot to tie for Milwaukee. Then Lowry threw this great pass to Siakam. Went, so they ended up being up 102 97. Leonard had 35 points. Uh, Lowry, 17 points. And Van Fleet, tremendous. 7 for 13, 7 for 9, 21 points. His wife had, had a child, or uh, they had a child. He together, went I back guess. and but forth, But the birth yeah. was only <laughs> two days before that, and I think that probably relaxed. I mean, Van Fleet, all year, anyone watched the Raptors play? Great guy off the bench, making threes all the time. He was terrible at the beginning of the series. I said 1 for 14 against the series, against the Sixers, 2 for 11 against the Bucks. then suddenly 14 out of 17 the next three games, and this really helped them because Danny Green couldn't shoot at all for Toronto. But, uh, and then again in the second game, in, game, in game five, uh, Giannis was 24 points, but 4 for 9 for the foul line. Middleton, their second best player, just 6 points. Uh, and yeah. then Mirosic and El Silva, two bench players, zero points. It, it was, they were destroyed off the bench. Budenholzer from Milwaukee did not know what adjustments to make. Toronto figured out. And this is what's so great about these seven-game series. Each team is able to make moves and adjustments as the series goes along and then, um, and, and, and make it and in, order to, in order to do that. You know what? It's funny. You brought up Siakam on this show maybe like six weeks ago saying this is a, a – um, uh, and the next level superstar who nobody's talking about, I feel like he got kind of overshadowed. And I don't know if he stepped up as much as he could have that could have put Toronto to the next step earlier. Right. I mean, I think that, I think what, what happened, look, Toronto made, before this year, Toronto last year made. They did great coaching they, moves. They, they, they fired, they, Toronto fired their coach, and Toronto, which, and who had taken, had the best, Toronto had the best record. Last year, and in, in the NBA, and, and they fire their coach, and they trade their best player. 
They bring in Quali Leonard. They bring in Nick Nurse, the assistant. Huge risk, but it's paid off. It paid off great because for four years they've been knocked out of the playoffs. They've been upset by LeBron, and they weren't willing to take those chances ahead again. And Mazzaia Jiri, their general manager, and I criticized that move. I felt they weren't loyal to Rosen. And if Leonard leaves, they might be bad again, and people say, well, this was, was it worth it or not? But clearly the moves paid off, and they got the team they wanted to get over the hump. Everybody talks about, I have to get over the hump. I mean, when I grew up, <laughs> the Houston Oilers, Tom Phillips was a coach, and he says, you know, three, for three years we've kicked down the door. Next year we're going to kick it and come right through it and they never did houston never got over the hump of the steelers and that's what toronto finally got they were lucky lebron left but toronto was able now in the nba finals and and that's i mean to them the city loves it they're excited about it it's tremendous ira you're dating yourself talking about houston having to overcome the steelers that's something that hasn't been in anyone's lexicon for three decades (laughs) but uh but you know just to finish up milwaukee toronto Game six goes back to Toronto, and at that point they're up three two, and it, it, it's like. But if it could go, it was that was almost Toronto's game seven because I felt like if Milwaukee had won that game, gone back to Milwaukee tonight, we would have had game seven tonight in Milwaukee in like an hour and a half. I've been so excited for the game. But then I think Milwaukee would have been a decided advantage in that game because they would have had won the game, been back there, ready to go, had momentum. But Toronto, I mean, what a weird game that Saturday night. I mean, it was, again, Bucks on 11-0 run. They were on a 17 run. It was, it was crazy back and forth. But Milwaukee seemed, Milwaukee, again, started out, out hot. But I think the key Toronto was it's almost like a runner, a sprinter, or anything saying, I want to I keep distance. I want to keep the leader in my sights or just be right on its tail. They never let Milwaukee get too far away. They never let them get the 25, the 30-point lead where the game's over. They were up 12. They were up 14, but they weren't that far away that they couldn't come back. And that's what Toronto was able to do. And certainly with the fans, uh, motivate them. It was only a 49-44 halftime uh, lead. But by the third period, this is very similar to Portland and, uh, and Golden State. They were up 15 points. Uh, but uh, uh, Leonard, you know, he had uh, – but that's where I think Kawhi Leonard understood in the points of the game where he had to make the plays, he made 10 straight points right in that middle of the game, right when the lead was 15. They went on a 17-2 run. And uh, it, was just, it, was, it was just a tremendous end of a game in terms of there was this play where Giannis drove the ball, Leonard blocked him, but, uh, I mean, Leonard, Leonard drove and Giannis blocked him, but then the Bucks were standing around and Siakam was able to get the rebound, put two up, and take that lead 97-92. And that ended up the game in terms of whatever. And then even at the end of the game, when uh, uh, Siakam missed the free throw, if Milwaukee would have got the rebound, they would have had a chance to tie the game on a three. But Leonard comes and gets the offensive rebound. I mean, Leonard did everything, 27 points, 17 rebounds. Again, Van Fleet played great, five for six, four for five for threes, 14 points. Siakam at 18, Lowry 17. Um, and, and Giannis played good, 21 points. But again, five for 10 for the foul line. Uh, it was just, and Bledsoe, terrible, eight points in 30 minutes. Uh, for the series, Giannis shot 55% for the foul line. Uh, he averaged uh, 28 against Boston, only 22 in this series. And Milwaukee, which won 10 out of 11 games, looked like they were rolling, loses four straight games. Uh, and Quali Leonard was amazing. I mean, he averaged 30 points uh, after he's averaging 35 against Philly, at 10 rebounds, four assists. I mean, for a guy that, that his first year in the league, he averaged nine points. And now he's being considered the best player in basketball right now. So uh, at 27 years old, just amazing performance from him. But uh, it was, it was, it, I, I was, it, Kawhi Leonard right now, had, if they beat the Warriors, will put the, in his statement that says, look, right now I'm it's the best It's a real foot stamp. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. By the way, 726, it's Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Randy Molier, Florida Panthers television analyst, he joins us in just about three or four minutes. Ira, you've been studying the NBA playoffs and NBA for going on five decades. Have you ever seen a performance like what Kawhi Leonard's doing right now? I honestly don't think I have. Even with um, Jordan, he had just better pieces around him. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. What do you think? No, I think there's been every playoff we've had. Dwayne Wade, the run he had from Miami. I think you have to have a team. In order for teams to be dominant, you really have to have that superstar perform. Uh, but I think what the difference was that he's now got his other players involved. Uh, Toronto's uh, the the. Uh, 
their supplementary players or complementary players have stepped up. And it was weird in the Philadelphia game that when the last time when Leonard was shooting and they were all standing around just saying, do something, they actually now were getting rebounds, making passes, making other shots, and that helped Leonard out. And that's what, that's what happened. They, the, the great thing about the end, it's not just a one-game college uh, basketball play game in terms of the uh, March Madness. You actually have time to be down 2-0 in a series, be down where you're almost going to go down 3-0 and come back and figure it out. And that's what coaching is. That's what players adapting, and that's what leadership. Uh, Quality Leonard was able to lead and, and do those things. I mean, the key for them in the finals will be Lowry has to play like a $25 million a year player. He's going to have to play like the <laughs> second goal. best player on the team. See, Ockham is going to have to play better and play much better than he played the last series. But Van Fleet and Powell off the bench are going to have to shoot phenomenally. And I'm going to be interested to see how Marcus Gasol, their center, because he might not really have a role in the series because when the Warriors go small, Gasol's a seven-foot center. Usually these players has no role. Now, if they could keep Gasol in the game, that's going to be something. But it'll be interesting to see how they play. And then if they have to go smaller, if Ibaka comes in the lineup, how Serge Ibaka plays. Uh, for the key for the Warriors, Draymond Green. I mean, I know that we're talking about Will Weather. I'm assuming yeah. Kevin Durant's not going to play. He is not going to play game I'm one. I'm counting for him sure. out too. I just, I just don't think they're going to bring him in, bring him, have him play. I just, there's something about this injury, about his calf injury. I don't see him playing. But Draymond Green has been playing at a super high level. He and Steph Curry were the first players ever to have a, a triple double in a game in a playoff game ever. Amazing performance. But the role players, Quinn Cook, Alfonso McKinney, Kevin Looney, Jordan Bell, Jericho Livingston. They have been helping out Curry, Thompson, and, and, and Green. Those role players, I think, feel confident. I think if they keep using the motion offense they've been playing, I think they'll be good. And, I'm, and now Iguodala will be back playing, and he's going to be one of the key performers. I mean, they're a heavy favorite in the series. I was surprised uh, that the Warriors are about an 80% favorite to win the series. I think we'll that's crazy. in terms of, of what happens. You know, from a betting standpoint, I think it's crazy. I think it should never be that high, and we're going to talk about betting standpoint in a second with Randy Moeller, um, because hockey is a a totally different beast than the NBA, but so right now, if you had to pick, what do you think is going to happen in in this league, and what kind of money would it take for you to bet on Kawhi and and Toronto? Because I I don't think they're that far off a 50-50 bet. I think the Warriors are going to win. I think probably. I think this could definitely be a six or seven game series. I, I think it'll be weird. I think when the Warriors bring back Durant, if they do bring him back in this series, remember they have Cousins and Durant potentially coming back. That's going to throw them off. I mean, it's really. I know it's say, how can you integrate Kevin Durant? So they're going to, if Kevin Durant wants to play and he's healthy, he's the best player in the NBA. You bring him back. But the point is, that could cost them a game. They're playing at such a high level right now. I mean, the record without Durant when Curry plays right now is thirty-three and two. For, uh, for, the, for the last 35 games that they have played since Durant's been there when Curry's played and Durant's been out. The Warriors and Draymond Green has been play, have been playing at the level they played five years ago. And they're the first team in five years, first NBA team besides the Celtics in the 50s to make five straight NBA finals. And it talks about other sports. It's only been done the they're Islanders, the, new dynasty. the Canadians, the Yankees. They're the new dynasty. All-time great. What we're seeing is, I mean, the Chicago Bulls never went to five straight finals with Michael Jordan because he set out for two years. I mean, that's how great uh, uh, this team is. Uh, just a tremendous performance from them. But I do think the Warriors will win the series. Uh, but it's not going to be easy. And Toronto has a, has a home field. Has a, definitely it's, gonna, it's tough to win in Toronto. And, but I, I like what I think is, I think, the, I think Toronto's role players are going to have trouble. And their lack of depth. I think the Warriors' depth yeah. is, is going is gonna, to is gonna cause them a lot of problems. No, I agree with you completely. And I think this is a very interesting conversation. However, I'm getting Randy Moeller queued up right now. And as hockey people go, that goes differently, how they think teams will sway. So my question to you is, win or loss, Kawhi Leonard staying in Toronto, what do you think? Um. I think I think if he loses, I, I I truly if I had to put money on, I think Wilder is going to go to the Clippers next year. I think he wants to play in L.A., um, but it's going to be hard. And I think it'd be easier if he. I think if he wins, I think it'd be easier for him to say, "Look, I delivered what I did to the town of Toronto. Everyone thanks him, and they will wish him well at his next." I think, but I think that he. I think his goal is to play for the Clippers and uh, or in, in in L.A. So that's what he's being arrested for. It's going to be definitely difficult to. 
imagine he wins. Like, how could you take that away from him? I, I, I would never anticipate that somebody wins a title and moves on and leaves, but that might actually happen here. And why would you say, you know, you're in LA all the time. Why would the Clippers be a destination? And this is something I still don't get as far as the NBA landscape uh, shapes up. Well, I think it's just, I think that he's, he, he look, Kawhi Leonard is a very mercurial player. He did not, he played five games last year. Uh, he, he, he's the cornerstone of the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, it was like they had Tim Duncan with the Spurs. He left, and, uh, and he retired, and Kawhi was going to take over the team. He was going to be the star player for the next 10 years. You have Popovich, who's the Bill Belichick of basketball. And, and, and Kawhi Leonard looked like he had the perfect attitude, the framework. He fit perfectly with what San Antonio has. Selfless basketball, team-oriented basketball, no one not you know, chanting your own name all the time. He seemed perfect for that. But suddenly Popovich, who supposedly gets along with every single player, is this great, the best communicator of any coach, cannot communicate with Leonard. They had a whole dysfunction between this great organization, the Spurs, and this great player, and they have to trade the cornerstone of their entire franchise in the prime of his career. I mean, it's almost like if the Patriots had Brady and there was another great quarterback after Brady retired who was going to be their, their quarterback, and suddenly it didn't work out, and they had traded him. So it was a shock that they, the Spurs traded him. I think the per, if I'm a San Antonio fan right now and I'm seeing what level Kawhi Leonard's playing right now, I'm thinking that should have been my star player. This should have been our player. The, the Spurs could have won three, four titles with someone like Kawhi Leonard on the team. That's what they expected. And to lose them is to lose him in that trade was disastrous for, for them. So even if Toronto loses him, they look, we had him for a year. We're going to go to the championship. But I, I really think he'll go to the Clippers. So, but anyway, go ahead. I think we just got Randy Moeller on. He's our boy, Florida Panthers television analyst. Randy drafted uh, number 11 overall by the Quebec Nordiques in 1981. You spent your time with the Nordiques, the Rangers, the Sabres, the Panthers. You made your rounds. This has been one of the most interesting um, Stanley Cup playoffs I've ever seen. I never thought, and Randy, we talked about this, that this Tampa Bay Lightning team would be beat, let alone just destroyed and shut out in one series by Columbus. Has this been the weirdest um, just playoff series you've ever seen? Yeah, it just it just shows the parity that's in the National Hockey League now. So the old saying, I know it's a cliche, but all you need to do is get into the playoffs. Look at the St. Louis Blues. They had the worst record in the NHL on January the 2nd. And not only did they qualify for the playoffs, but now they got themselves in the finals against the Boston Bruins. It's the greatest sport in the world as far as nobody really dominates, as we saw. Everybody everybody had Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup as they cruised through the regular season. But it just, it just proves who's the hottest team, who's the team that's on the, the best role, once April, the first part of April, uh, rolls around. And poor Tampa Bay, they never had a, a swoon during the season where they lost four or five in a row and then they got re, reorganized. It just never happened for them. And they paid the ultimate price. This was a year that Tampa Bay should have won the Stanley Cup again. You know, and Randy, uh, we've spoken um, a lot here on the True Oldies channel about I thought this was the best team I'd ever seen on paper. And Ira, my, my co-host, he's a Tampa, uh, he's a uh, Pittsburgh fan, so he knows all about these great teams. I never saw this coming where that team would fall. So I think it's the craziest Stanley Cup bracket we've ever seen. What do you think these teams need to do to win, though? Boston and you guys, the Florida Panthers, really had a couple of grudge matches. This is one of the grittiest teams I've seen in a long time. What's it going to take for Boston to win this? Well, well, their goaltending, uh, Tuka Rask has been un unbelievable. And you take a look at the record that he's had and his number and save percentage and goals against averages. That's the reason why they're in the position to win the Stanley Cup again. It's because of goaltending. Special teams as well. The Boston Bruins are almost 40% on the on the power play, uh, and that has been unheard of in the, in the playoffs. It's for ridiculous. Twenty five years. Yeah. It's it's amazing what's 
what's been happening with the Boston Bruins. And, of course, my biggest question is how healthy is Chara and, and Bergeron? They have to be healthy. They have the, the big three, four up front, and Chara back on the fence. If they stay healthy and play the, anywhere close to their ability, it's going to be a tough time for the St. Louis Blues. I picked the Boston Bruins to win the Stanley Cup in five games. I was going to ask you how many games you thought, so I'm glad you said it. I thought you'd go more. By the way, we're speaking to Randy Moeller. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. You were drafted number 11 overall by the Nordiques in 81. You made your rounds through some good teams. A guy like Brad Marchand, what does he do to a guy like you? You, you're a, an amazing <laughs> player. He's such a jerk, though. Like, how does someone like you, who just plays the game the right way, deal with someone like Marshand, who is always going to get under your skin? And he's gotten under the Panthers' skin, too. <laughs> well, the the rules now have changed, and they protect players like uh, Brad Marshand. I mean, he's an <laughs> excellent hockey player, an excellent hockey player. But in the old days, um, he would have had to fight four times a, uh, a game which you wouldn't want to do. <laughs> now, you, you, you can't do that anymore. If, you, if, if you're the aggressor if, or if you jump them, you're going to get a game that's going to put the, your team in, in a great peril. So um, Brad Marchand knows how to play the game. He knows how to get under the opposition skin. I'm sure he's going to pull a couple of the stunts here in the in the finals. I expect that. Oh, without a doubt. But the, but the bottom line the bottom line is like he is an unbelievable hockey player, and he's so talented. And playing on that top line with Patrice Bergeron, they're magical out there, and they've hit their stride here in the uh, in the playoffs. And they're the most dominant line that's uh, that's playing in in the NHL. They showed that. Through the first three rounds, they that that top line with Marshawn and, and, and Patrice Bergeron, and whoever plays on the wing, uh, whether it's Pasternak or whoever, they seem to get it done and, and supply the offense to to uh, have the Boston Bruins uh, put in a perfect position, and especially with the first two games on home ice in Boston starts to you know starts tonight. That's that's what is going to be the defining moment. That's the reason why I picked the Bruins in five. You know, it's interesting, I, and I, I'm already looking forward to the next season because I, I see how this is shaping up. Ira, do you have any questions for um, for Randy here? Randy, um, Vince, uh, thanks for coming on this my show. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck next year with uh, with the Panthers. But uh, Vince Dunn has been a key pro- uh, player for St. Louis, and I guess it's like same thing we're having in the NBA playoffs with Kevin Durant. Uh, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? It seems like, I mean, not the level, of course, Kevin Durant, but there seems to be a question mark what game. He's not. He's out for game one, but will he be playing tonight, you know, game two, game three, game four? St. Louis really needs him in order to, uh, to counteract uh, Boston's advantages. Well, one of the, one of the things, uh, positives for the St. Louis Blues, I, I think, and throughout this, it's, it's been proven throughout this, this playoffs, is the depth that St. Louis has, a lot like Boston. And yeah. you, so you see the games that have been played, the series that have been played. Um, I, I, that's what got Columbus. Uh, that's what got San Jose. When they lost some of their top players, uh, the depth just couldn't comp, uh, compensate the losses of some of their top players and that. And that's where I think the St. Louis Blues have that. They have, in my mind, the best fourth line in the, in the NHL. And it, they're going to be playing probably 15, 18 minutes a night, which is a lot for the fourth line. And that's going to be one of the one of the key components for St. Louis to stay with the Bruins in this series. If not, if that fourth line does not contribute, then it's going to be very, very difficult. And in terms of Jordan Bennington and goal for St. Louis, I mean, it's amazing. You're going to think now, any team that's in Latin, anybody who's having a struggle in January, this, the, the method will be fire your coach and change your goaltender, and then you're going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals in, in June. Uh, but really, what a great move in terms of what, how, how, what he's helped to turn the whole team around and how he's played in the playoffs. I mean, he's only given up 13 third-period goals in 19 games. Uh, I mean, if you're going to go, he's probably not as good as Rask is, but at least they have someone who is maybe in that level, um, do you think, compare the goaltenders in terms of Rask and Bivington? Yeah, that, 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 you know, going up against, everybody talks about the Rask, Rask but the goaltending for the St. Louis Blues is, 
has been extraordinary. That's the reason why they're here as well. Um, the experience might play a factor in this, but uh, it, it's amazing how players rise up. We saw Patrick Waugh back in the you know the mid '80s when he got called up from the from the American Hockey League and led the uh, the Montreal Canadiens to a Stanley Cup uh, championship Amazing, yeah. with barely a handful of games in the NHL during the regular season. We've seen this before, and will this be the magical year for, for the St. Louis Blues riding a, but not a rookie goaltender, a goaltender that's that's been around, he's in his mid-20s, and, and that, that has experience playing in the American Hockey League. So, But um, unless Tuka Rask, uh, takes a step back and and is not as completely dominant as he's been in this playoff series. It's going to be very difficult for the St. Louis Blues. I, I I just can't see that if Rask plays anywhere as close to what he's performed in the in the series in the playoffs this year, and with that top line and 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 uh, and, and the defense that the uh, Bruins have. The St. Louis Blues are going to need all the breaks that they can get, and if they if their special teams are not special, then it's it's going to be very difficult to win hockey games. These games are going to be low scoring. I, I I'm I'm almost positive we're going to see two nothing, two one, three two games throughout the uh, the finals, and you know both teams are are uh, coming into this thing full of confidence. But I I really think that the Bruins are are the cream of the crop. Randy, thanks a lot for coming on my show. I, I really appreciate it, and, and we'll definitely have you back to preview Florida's uh, uh, season for coming up. It, it, you know, it's amazing. The season begins so shortly. The offseason is just a few months. Yeah, it certainly is, and an exciting time for the Panthers, too. First thing that's coming up is a draft, 21st, 22nd in Vancouver. The Panthers have nine picks in six rounds. Whether they use all those picks or they uh, use them as assets, but the big date is going to be January, or excuse me, July first, when free agency starts, and then it's no secret that the Panthers are going after a top goaltender and a top winger in the uh, in the NHL. Um, little uh, spoiler: they both play for the same team. <laughs> Whether they're able to, to, to sign those players or not, we'll have to wait and see. But you know they're going to go. They're going to stand up to the cap, and with the core that they have. We're in for a very exciting, exciting season with yeah. the Florida Panthers coming up in 1920. Randy, I'm far from done with you, and I know that the Panthers have so many options here as how they're going to um, anticipate this draft and also free agent period. Jack Hughes and Capo Caco, if you're looking at this from your um, standpoint, who do you want? And I know Jack Hughes is uh, immediately looked like I feel like this is a Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin one and two draft. If you had to choose someone for the Panthers or for your own team, who do you like here out of the top slot? I think I think Hughes has proven that he can play. I mean, he's he has performed so well at every level, and not only against 18, 19 year olds, but he's proven they can play against the, some of the best in the NHL. He has he has the skill, the maturity. He does remind me. Of Sidney Crosby, these are the type of players that you build franchises around, and I, exactly. I think the New Jersey Devils will take will will, will take uh, Hughes first overall, and uh, I don't think they'll they'll be disappointed. I, I, I agree with you completely. What would you say about Capo Caco and what he's going to do, probably for the Rangers, who will have that pick? I, an exciting player. He's uh, he, he's the real deal. I think uh, he's he's a lot like uh, Tarasenko with the St. Louis Blues, flashy, great comparison, great comparison, and do it all. Um, he he he's he's got a little bit of Ovechkin in him because he's got the strength and the and the way he can skate and the shot and that. But you can, the Rangers can't go wrong with taking him and with the second pick. It, it, I think these are two um, uh, players that are going to be cornerstones for their franchises for the next 15 years. I feel like it is the Crosby Ovechkin draft where you just you can't lose yep. either way and you're going to win. Your your franchise is going to be happy. We want the Florida Panthers to be happy. What do you want to see this team do in the offseason? You have one of the best cores in all of the NHL and you know we're big fans here at the True Oldies channel. 
what do you what would you like to see happen here in the offseason uh, for the Panthers? Well, I I, I don't think my, I don't think it's there's any secret. I mean, they're going to go after a couple of very high profile free agents. They have lots of assets in, in, in terms of draft picks and good young prospects in order to maybe make a package deal. They need another defenseman, another stay-at-home, solid defenseman. They're out there, but you have to pay a price for them. And I think with those three, a defenseman, a goaltender, and, and a high-scoring winner, you take a look at the way the Panthers are built with their core players, and especially down the middle. And that, if they're able to accomplish those three with the goaltender, defenseman, and a, and a, and a winger in free agency, plus have a successful draft, plus remember they've got Tippett coming in. Um, this is a dominant player that uh, finished a very successful year in the uh, Ontario Hockey League. That's a former high first-round draft pick for the Panthers. You add all these things mm-hmm. together, and I think the Panthers are in a pretty good shape. You, you, you don't have to ask me. You don't have to ask anybody <laughs> with the Panthers. When you ask around the NHL if they're able to do what they want to do in the offseason, the Panthers will not only be a perennial playoff contender, but they could challenge for the cup within the next one, two, or three years. So that's what's exciting for me. I can't wait to start broadcasting the games. The off season is too long already, and I can't <laughs> wait for the first part of October. You're already exhausted not talking about Ekblad. <laughs> <laughs> and Barkov and all these fun players that we have here in South Florida. Randy, I always say that the best um, venue in South Florida is seeing this team at the BB&T Center. If we want season tickets or anything, how do we do that? You just got to go go on FloridaPanthers.com. They've done a marvelous job with their website and how they can steer you with uh, different directions um, for all the different options. Plus, you can always call the puck line, 954-835-PUCK, and you can talk to the people that are, that are the sales representatives for the Florida Panthers. They will customize a perfect plan for you, whether it's a full plan, a half, mini, um, group sales, you name it, the weekend plan. Uh, they're going to come out with single-game tickets uh, pretty soon, as soon as the uh, schedule has been released. And there's a plan out there for everyone. And with I'm hearing, and I'm, I guess I'm tipping my hat right now, I'm hearing <laughs> that the Panthers will have possibly 13, maybe even 14 Saturday night games uh, throughout the season on home ice at the BB&T Center. So a perfect time to get a weekend plan and come out and see some of the great games that the Panthers will be playing here in the 1920 season. I've never had a bad day at the BB&T Center. Always enjoy it. Randy Moeller, thank you so much for stopping by here. It's Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. We love hockey here, and we're getting more and more into it. Um, I'm looking forward now, though, to the Major League Baseball season. And I I know it's tough to, to gauge, but... Ira, our Yankees have been doing pretty darn good for what they're worth. <laughs> if you could put this whole team on paper, they should win every game, but they don't. And now here we are with a bunch of scrubs and all our best players are on the DL. Losing both of them perfectly. Uh, regardless, we're talking about the New York Yankees. This is Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Major League Baseball. Always had our worst go. And here we are trying to um, figure out how the Yankees continue to win games. They are outsourcing everybody. They are doing a better job of putting things together than everybody. And it's very respectable as far as everything goes. 95.9, the true oldies channel, Mike Balsamo. Alongside Ira, Ira, I always get excited to talk about hockey. I know you're not as big of a hockey guy as me, but... You've had the advantage of having um, Pittsburgh being so good <laughs> the last couple of years, so you get excited about it. But let's talk about baseball. 
too, and you guys haven't been that successful this year. Well, I think in terms of the play, in terms of of the baseball setup, uh, I do like what's happened in terms of. Uh, uh, I mean, the Pirates are only four and a half back. I mean, you look at the, in the National League, everybody except for like the Miami Marlins and maybe the Washington Nationals and San Francisco Giants are out of it. Everybody seems to be in place. The Dodgers seven games ahead of San Diego and Arizona. Uh, the Cubs. Uh, over the Brewers by a game and a half, and the Phillies over the Braves by a game and a half. It's, it's wide open in the National League. And, and some players for the Pirates, like Josh Bell, no one thought was going to have the year that he had. But, uh, I mean, but as I said, I've said on this show many times, the Los Angeles Dodgers are just so much better. Their second, their second squad could be, they could be Dodgers' first squad is first, and Dodgers' second squad could be second. That's how good the Dodgers are, how many players they have. And they really, if they don't make it to the World Series, they've totally messed it up because there really is no other good team out there. I mean, maybe the Brewers will get their act together and play better, but right now the Dodgers are, I think, by far the premier team in the National League. And in the American League, and, and in the, American League the Yankees, they're playing their second squad. Their first starters are, their first, as I said earlier, Bird, 60 days DL, Didi uh, Gregorius out, Judge, Stanton, Andrew Artulski. They have seven of their players that were supposed to be their starting players haven't, are not playing or haven't played at all this year. Three of their top five pitchers are out, and they're still in first place. Boston started out horrendously, but they're back. They're six and a half. They're going to make the playoffs as a wild card. Uh, and, uh, and it's almost right now Tampa and Boston will be the wild cards. Minnesota, a lot of people like Minnesota this year, and they have played great. They have 10 games over the Indians. The Indians really are just not playing well like they have the last couple of years. And then Houston is rolling along in the West over Oakland. I mean, it's looking very similar to what happened last year in baseball with these teams staying on top, the Houstons, the Yankees, the Red Sox uh, in the American League. You know, it's funny how you, you know, kind of <laughs> buckle down on our big teams, which I understand that as a <laughs> as a, a Pittsburgh fan. But you got to look at it like cerebrally. You have the, the toughest division in all of baseball. It's not going to get harder than that. Uh, Yankees and Red Sox fans, we don't have to deal with the – um, just the parody that you guys do. And Red Sox are having an issue this year. I think that we're going to have a, a long go. As far as the West goes, I don't trust any of those teams. So if I had to throw a, like, we're basically out here throwing, um, you know, future bets. I don't trust them as much. I, I'm not trusting the Pirates at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, it, it, this is a type, <laughs> this is definitely. Uh, uh, something where we're going to see when the Yankees get healthy, and they are getting healthier, and whether they're going to be a team that's going to roll off and win 105-110. Are they going to be this dominant team that's going to roll into the playoffs and when they have everybody healthy, all their pitchers, and of course teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox, they have the money to make moves. When te- the teams that are out of the playoffs that are looking to trade a pitcher or, or trade a hitter and take Good on point. some money, these teams have the wherewithal to take on a $20 million and a $25 million contract. These other teams don't have that advantage. Minnesota is not taking on a contract like that. Uh, there's just there are few teams in baseball that can do it, and the Dodgers, and the Yankees, and the Red Sox are those teams that can. So as much as I, I'm confident, Mookie Betts was off to a horrendous start when the season started. He's playing great really now. Really uh, Yeah. And, and they're and they're definitely coming on. So I look. It, it's it's been interesting with baseball. It, it, what's going to be very good is this weekend uh, four game series. Red Sox at Yankees. That's going to set. I think if the Red Sox come in there and win three out of four from the Yankees, they're like saying, "Look, we're going to be back. We're going to win the World Series again. Everybody relax. We got it under control." And that'll be. Very, I think that's that series next weekend is going to be something we should. It's going to be the fun thing for baseball for people who, in the middle of the basketball season, can catch and look at look at that series. That's going to really be telling who's going to be the World Series champion. It should be the focus on this show. You're right, though. Um, nobody's trusting the. Um, bounce back and forth between Nagandi and, <laughs> um, oh, what's it called? Kevin Na, who is closing out your PGA championship. Nobody saw this coming, Ira. Uh, we do have a new winner, and it's not something you wanted to talk about being sexy on this show, but we're dealing with golf favorites. Well, I, I think in the in the PGA, I think... You know, what was interesting is in terms of Colonial, I mean, Kevin Na had a win, four, four, four strokes over Tony Finau. Um, is a good he win. Eight, 
Spieth finished eight strokes back. Um, and it sets up in terms of what we're seeing in, these, in golf, like the Honda Classic. You're seeing some tournaments that have uh, uh, just some of the superstars go to these off tournaments, and then they're all going to play the Memorial. They're going to play the players. They're going to play the Genesis Classic. Uh, and Kevin Na, this is a chance for in these other tournaments for someone like Kevin Na, who's a good young player, to come on and have a good win. And uh, he played great. And it was so funny. He, had, he won a 73 Dodge Challenger, and his caddy, we're always this thing about Matt Kuchar not tipping his caddy or not paying his caddy. He gave his caddy the Dodge Challenger, which is a very valuable car. So that was really, it was interesting. But we're setting up for this weekend where everybody's going to play the Memorial in Dublin. So, uh, and then two weeks from then in Pebble Beach in, uh, in San Francisco. So it'll be, it'll be a very interesting time for the next, you know, this week coming up and then two weeks from now for the U.S. Open. And to see if what, you know, we're going to really see Tiger, Brooks, DJ, McElroy, Justin Thomas, Molinari, you know, all these players and see what happens uh, coming forward. So I'm really looking forward to golf this weekend. You would be, of course, and then boxing too. I don't know. What's yeah, I mean, the... yeah. Go ahead. Well, I think you know what's so funny is on the way over uh, back from New York to uh, from Las Vegas to New York, I sat next to Bob Arum on the plane. Uh, Bob Arum is founder of Top Rank, one of the greatest boxing promoters of all time. Uh, has been part of the greatest fights uh, from every from for the last forty years. Uh, but it was interesting. We had a good conversation about where he was going down. They were promoting a fight in Orlando between Ito and Harrington for the lightweight title. And we are talking about how boxing is really caught on. And a lot of these towns, like you're seeing boxing cards where it used to just be maybe New York and Vegas and, and certain cities and, and especially, but it's now across this country that boxing has really caught on in popularity. And he was really impressed with this crowd that he was going to have in Orlando. I thought that was a, a really nice conversation I had with him. Hopefully we'll have him on our show sometime. Um, and, but this coming weekend, Anthony <laughs> Joshua is fighting Andy Ruiz at Madison Square Garden. It's the first fight for Joshua, the, the, the heavyweight champion of the world. There's Dante Wilder and Tyson Fury are also have claims to be champions, but Joshua is considered the champion of the world. And Ruiz is given no chance to win. But it's interesting because Joshua has had 22 fights. They've all been in England. First time he's ever fought anywhere outside England. And fighting in Madison Square Garden is going to be so exciting. It's going to be great to see it. Uh, remember, Joshua was the gold medals winner in 2012. He won the title in 2017 over Klitschko. And uh, this is his chance. He's, the last three pay-per-view events he's been on has only draw, draw, drawn 500,000 people. And I think Dazen uh, and the media people behind him and promotional people are like, look, we got to get Anthony Joshua out of here. We've got to have him doing interviews. We've got to have him in America. He's going to have to expand his base uh, you know, further than over in England. Now you have Tyson Fury, Wilder. They're really setting up some for big fights. But this weekend at, at Madison Square Garden, I mean, if Joshua gets upset, it's Buster Douglas Tyson level, uh, but he should easily win this fight against Ruiz. But it'll, it, it's great that it's, at least he's fighting in America. Was Clitchure a better like, fighter than you've ever seen? What? Was Klitschko a better fighter than you've seen? You um, seem to be late. Like, no, I thought the Joshua, Joshua, the Joshua fight over Klitschko was uh, was a tremendous fight. I think that it was a surprise, but I think Joshua hasn't been challenged in, in those fights since then, and I think that's what he's looking for. And I think both Joshua Fury and Wilder are trying to get these other bouts. They're trying to get more popular. They realize that, you know, you talk to people about boxing. Everyone, Floyd Mayweather, that style is great. But when you see these 6'7", 280 uh, fighters, those are people that, that's what people think of Ali and Frazier and Foreman and Liston. These are the heavyweights, and that's what's driven boxing. So I think Joshua, it's going to be a big event when he plays. And I think boxing in the next two years, the heavyweight division is going to drive the sport. All right, well, talking about the heavyweights, you have to pick now between the literal two uh, NBA Finals champions. Based on the odds, how would you spend your money based on Golden State and Toronto? I think you're leaning a little bit towards Toronto. I, I feel like you're giving them some some precedence, which you should. I wouldn't spend all my money on Golden State, but how would you do this? Uh, no, I really I think Golden State should be uh, a favorite. You know, de I definitely think Golden State's the favorite in this, and uh, and I feel comfortable that Golden State. I mean, I think if you're looking for an upset, yeah, I mean, it's always good to, uh, when you have the odds that Toronto has, and you're able to get, especially in that first game, and uh, and, and the line is only Golden State minus one, and, and and Toronto is at home. People realize Toronto had a better record than Golden State. You might like that first game, but I think overall with the series, Golden State will win. But in the first game, I think Toronto might. That's a game that Toronto should probably win. I think. 
think the line at being one is an advantage to bet on Toronto. This might be the money to be made on that first game of Golden State, though. I ag- I'm kind of agreeing with you here. I-, I think that Toronto will win that first one and maybe make money for every better. Yeah. But um, but anyway, and also this weekend we have coming up is the French Open. I'm I'm just uh, we've just started. I'm you know always excited about tennis. Uh, one thing to note is that Djokovic, uh, Nadal, and Federer they're all seated one, two, three. They won all the majors in the last uh, three years, uh, and uh, it's going to be great. I mean, this is we don't might not have many more major tournaments with these three great the all time three best players of all playing with against each other, and hopefully we'll get them. Federer would play Nadal in the semifinals, and Djokovic could play maybe theme in the semifinals. Uh, each one of them has a pretty easy path to the semifinals uh, looking at this. And this is Federer's first time in three years back at the French. It's giving some indications that he might not play anymore. This might be Federer's last season. So because he hadn't, hasn't played on clay and saved himself for Wimbledon. So I'm excited uh, for the next two weeks. Uh, of the French Open. I mean, Serena's back playing, too. She lost her first set uh, 6-2, but came back and won 6-1-6-0. And so Serena, you know, definitely is going to make a run for her uh, 24th title. Uh, But uh, I'm pumped for for the French Open. We'll see the best tennis we've ever seen here at Iron Sports. By the way, 95.9, the true oldies channel. We love you. We'll talk to you next Monday night, Iron Sports.